I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome once again to Look Sport Media's League One podcast. Fresh off of a full docket of fixtures after the international break, we're back again to run the rule over all the goings on in the third tier of English football. My name's Ollie Nixon. I'm delighted to be joined by Chris and Seb this week. Anything interesting happened in the last seven days of your world, gents? Well, it's finally been nice to have a sort of full roster of fixtures. Well, not quite full, but more than we had during the international break. Good to see uh, League One games up and running and plenty to talk about. Yeah, I don't think we touched on it last week. So, somehow we didn't manage to mention how shit it is international breaks, losing most of most of your games. Yeah, well, there, there was only five, weren't there, in League One last year? So sort of, I felt a little bit lost last Saturday, but good to be back. Uh, the weekend just gone back to a normal uh, sort of Saturday of football across the leagues, and in particular League One. Yeah. Any any uh, anything big news in your life, Chris? Well, obviously, what a road quiet over international break, but it'll certainly be noisy now. But 90 seconds it took, Chris. 90 seconds it took. (laughs) (laughs) We're not not covering anything else tonight, by the way. The whole hour is just Cheltenham Town. Yeah, we'll restart that. Welcome once again to Look Sports Media's dedicated (laughs) Cheltenham coverage. Oh dear. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get there to talking about the football. Um, we often get feedback from the listeners that they want to know a bit more about the guys on the pod. Uh, and so I'm going to start by asking you both a random question for the audience. So hopefully you've got your minds working. So this week's question is going to be the following. If you could have one food item on the menu at every football ground in the country, what would it be? Eva, if you can jump in first. I think it's one of those things that doesn't need to be overcomplicated. You see a lot of people just overcomplicate food and you can't really go wrong with the classics like the pies and stuff. What's, what's, what's in your pie? Uh, you have all sorts. I know people rave about the chicken balti over at uh, Stockport, I believe, and in League Two, but 
you have all sorts, and it's just a, it's just a classic, really. All 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 of them. This is Chris. This is your your one item. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to know about the, the best pie. I'm, I'm interested in what you'd have in your pie. Probably the classic steak pie. Nice. Well, so steak, steak man. How about you, Seb? Yeah, well, I'm a vegetarian, so at times uh, food at football can be a little bit limited. Uh, sometimes it's just chips. Sometimes it's just a bag of crisps. My favourite, uh, as a, an away fan, has got to be at Forest Green. Obviously, they only serve vegan food, so that was... I was living the dream. You know, it's it's... The other grounds you go to, it's a rarity that they have a vegan option. But Forest Green Rovers, I was living the dream where the full menu is a sort of vegan item. So I'd say either a sort of a vegan pie or a vegan sausage roll, both of which at Forest Green were really nice. But it'd be nice if sort of all clubs would have sufficient options like that. I'd go, uh, yeah, vegan mince and onion pie. Excellent. Yeah, well, it's good. It's nice to be in the majority actually being vegetarian on the pod. It's not often you have that in a, in a football capacity because I'm also a fellow good human. Um, the yeah, absolutely agree with you. Football as uh, sorry, food as a vegetarian football is horrendous. The number of times I have had, I think I think probably I reckon cheese and onion pie or like sort of pasty is probably the the thing that I end up eating most often. Never ever want it, but just always has to, has to be done if I'm hungry. Yeah, I think. I, I, I've not actually been to Forest Green, um, which is a travesty. I mean, I mean, I'd, I'd recommend it. I'd recommend it just for the food. <laughs> it's weird. It's weird I, that, that, that when I was at, when I was at, um, when I was seeing during the conference, that always used to be Kidderminster. Everyone used to rave like you have to go to Kidderminster. I think they when I went, they did things like it was essentially like a takeaway restaurant. They had things like curries and chicken chow mein and all sorts of stuff. Um, obviously, not great for me, but um, but yeah, like stuff like that is is brilliant. I think for me, I would have to go. Just can can, can we just have it as a as a real thing that clubs come into this century and just have a nice veggie burger? Like Ooh, the number, yeah, like yeah. the number like, is so easy. There's so there are so many good ones, and yet if you do find a club that's got one, it's always shit, and. It can't be that hard to get right, can it? I mean, what what what's food like at both your clubs? Uh, Barnsley, uh, yeah. Sorry, you go, you go, Chris. Go on. Not fantastic at Cheltenham, honestly. I mean, uh, I don't even think we open the food stall in midweek games because we get that low attendances midweek. But um, but at the weekends, it's, most weekends, it's just awful. Um, I mean, most of the time, stuff like the burgers just tastes like a rustler. Uh, Barnes is the same. It depends which stand you sit at. One of our stands is is really good. Uh, one of them isn't, and the other sort of is a bit hit and miss. And the one that's really good does sort of a range of items. We've had like loaded flatbreads, sort of uh, chicken gyros, uh, different burgers an option as well. Uh, like pizzas to that loaded hot dogs, so it can be really good. Again, not great for vegetarians, but for for your your, your standard meat eater uh, fan, it's it's really good options. Some uh, the other stand that we've got, have, you know, you'd be lucky just to get a, a standard uh, steak pie, let's say, or, or a, a chicken pie. Um, so it depends what stand you're sitting, but it has, uh, I guess, it has enhanced our reputation. Uh, We've seen uh, over the past few years, we've seen a lot of appearances on Footy Scrad on Twitter uh, because of our our food. So I guess that, that could only be a good thing. But it depends what stand you sit, sit in, which shouldn't be the case. But it is sometimes you've got some really good options, sometimes not so much. 
It's, a, it's funny you mentioned the Twitter thing, actually. I was going to say, my only point of reference for Stevenage, because I, I, I don't often eat when I go to games, was that I remember a couple of years back now, someone ordering cheesy chips and just being given chips with uh, plastic cheese just laid on top. <laughs> um, probably cost them about three or four quid. Um, and yeah, obviously made its way to Twitter. <laughs> so I, I can only assume our food's not great, but... I, I can't remember what it was, but I've also seen on Twitter the fact there's like a massive hot dog roll with just this tiny little hot dog and no sauce. It just looks empty and lonely, you know. Uh, it's just mostly just bread. I just think, how 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 are clubs even allowed to sell something like that at a football ground? Uh, but yeah, I'd, 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 Forest Green, just for the food, uh, I'd, I'd recommend Dolly, definitely. Excellent. Well, mark it up as a place to go then. Right, I suppose we better get on with catching up with the weekend's action then and finally let Chris loose. Um, it's only one place we can really start and only one person that can talk us through it. Chris, you've waited 13 long games for this. How was Cheltenham versus Cambridge? Um, we finally got the win, but there's nothing, not much excited to talk about it. There's just the one goal from Lee and Circum. I mean, if you watch a Cheltenham game expecting goals, then I'm not sure why. Why? Um, but yeah, it looked like your typical bottom of the table clash, really. Um, we spoke last time about Cambridge possibly being a relegation candidate. Obviously, we're a relegation candidate, and it showed these teams were it was a six pointer essentially, and it just showed that both teams will most likely be in trouble later on in the season um we, we spoke about the international break as well and just a really random one one of the reasons our games get called off is because um we have players who play for really obscure countries uh elliot bonds gets called up to the guiana national team and at 38 years old, Curtis Davis received his first international call-up for Sierra Leone. That, that's incredible, that, isn't it? Uh, being sort of so far, far towards the end of his career, being called up at 38. And, and I think he said a few times that uh, when he got that call-up, that you know he had to remind them that he was 38 years of age. Yeah. But it's just... It's, it just must, it a, must... it's a great story, isn't it? It must have been a case where you had to afford. He had to afford to himself. Have they got the right person here? But I think I saw last season he very rarely played more than forty-five minutes for Derby County, and I mean that that's something you'd see in Sunday League. Really, um, you'd see the odd guy late thirties, early forties, just struggling to play. Normally a centre back as well and just playing 45 minutes and then that's enough for them. I can't, I can't, I can't believe you talk about a win and I reckon you've only got a sentence there. How, <laughs> by the way. There, there really isn't much to talk about with Cheltenham though, um, other than the issues on the pitch and now now we've won a game, it's what what do we actually talk about with Cheltenham? We, we've suddenly gone from being one of the most talked about teams in football this uh, season to, well, they've won a game now, let's forget who they are. Um, the, o the only thing now is to make sure we're not worse than Forest Green Rovers last season. <laughs> Same as Sam Sam I mean, I, I can't remember how many Forest Green got, but yeah, um, it was the most shots on target we've had in a, 
game as well this so far this season, uh, seven, and I think we had about 20 shots. Chris, the only way is up now, so are you looking for top six, top two? Wait, wait, where are we for? <laughs> we're winning the league. Portsmouth, Portsmouth struggled at our ground, so we'll, we'll go, we'll go knock them off. <laughs> I do, but we, we you've you've only slightly touched on it, but if, if people haven't seen the Liam Sturcombe goal, by the way, it is seriously nice. Really, really lovely little dink uh, from the edge of the box, far on top corner. Yeah, absolutely one to see. You said, obviously, you know, Cheltenham aren't a team necessarily that people are talking about now. Cambridge's form is boring, isn't it? They've won one of their last 11 in all competitions, and they've actually lost seven of those. Did they look like a, a team for you that are going to be down there? Yeah, I mean, they, they were down there last season and they narrowly escaped. I think um, it was almost their rivals, Oxford, who sent them down as well, uh, meeting with them close to the end. But uh, MK Dons eventually succumbed to what was inevitable for them last season. And that was what saved Cambridge, really. Uh, Accrington Stanley as well. Well, it's good to have you on the board and lovely to hope well, hope, hope that carries on for you. Um, Seb, you oversaw a clash between two sides who sat in the top 10 for form across the last 10 games at Brisbane Road. Yes, certainly did. Yeah, it was uh, Barnsley who were hoping to continue their successive form away from home against a strong Leighton Orient side. Uh, Leighton Orient actually took the lead in this one pretty early. It came from a Dubious handball decision given against Jamie McCart. Uh, the shots come in, and I personally think sort of the the striker who's gone for the ball, it, they got, the shots going high and wide, but the, the arm is out. The arm is out, but I think the 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 attacker has has aimed at, at Jamie McCart's arm. So a penalty is given uh, for the home side at, at Brisbane Road, and uh, Joe Piggott does what Joe Piggott does best: steps up from the penalty spot and gives Orient the lead. Um, ben Killip. Did go the right way for the penalty, but not able to uh, to prevent it from the not able to prevent the home side taking the lead. Um, interesting, Ben Clip was actually making his first league start of the campaign because uh, Liam Roberts, who's been a star for Barnsley so far this season, uh, recently found out after the game that he's actually been out with uh, surgery. He's broken one of his fingers, so I think it'll be a couple of weeks before he comes back. He, he's been uh, a revelation between the sticks for, for Barnsley. Um, so the Reds went in 1-0 down. Uh, bit, bit of a disappointing performance, uh, but they came out second half, better, better side, momentum was was on their side. You know, passing moves were a lot more slick uh, and then uh, the equalising goal came from Herbie Kane. Barry Cotter, square ball across to Devante Cole. He didn't choose to shoot, instead passed inside to Herbie Kane who shot from 25 yards out right into the top corner. Uh, and that's when it finished. It finished later on at one, Barnsley one. Yeah, not another lovely goal there, as you say, from Herbie Kane. We spoke last week about Orient's changing system, and it sort of seems to be working again here. In this game, they had 1.5 XG to your 0.25. How much of a threat do we think they can be moving forward? Yeah, massively. Um, obviously, they, they took, to, took the lead pretty early on, albeit it was a penalty, but they, they were causing the Barnsley defence a lot of issues and they, they matched up against Barnsley's 3-5-2 as well. Um, and that they went against them 
sort of, uh, well, matching formation and, and Barnsley didn't really know what to do. Uh, but going forward, menacing, obviously, when you have someone like Joe Piggott in your side, uh, it can only be positive. And later on, it definitely ones, one, ones to watch for the table. Uh, currently seen in 13th place, which is, you know, quite a quite a solid position for them. Uh, I could see them sticking around there or even pushing on. But later on, uh, for, especially at home, uh, are a solid side. Yeah, definitely. Nice uh, comedy red card for Cosgrove as well with two two yellows in two minutes. Yeah, two yellow cards. Silly, silly, really. The the second yellow in particular, uh, the referee's given given the foul towards the Leighton Orient and he's just sort of gone in too rash, too late. There's no need, you know, the the, the referee's blown his whistle, the ball's gone and he's just gone in late uh, and sort of in injury time. Uh, yeah, it's just, it's just no need. It just means he's unavailable for the Shrewsbury game on Tuesday, um, which is a bit of a shame because he, he offers something different to what our other strikers do in terms of that physical presence up top. Uh, so it will be will be a, will be a miss, albeit it is only one game. Uh, but sort of silly and reckless, especially in that late in the game. Um, it just means sort of more reliance on Devan, Devante Cole and, and John McAtee up top. Uh, but a silly, silly error, and there's no need to make it that late in the game. Yeah, just on the just on the subject of discipline in a late and orient game, it's uh, a st- uh, statistic I saw a couple of weeks ago. It's probably changed a bit now, obviously, with it being a couple of weeks ago. But they were top of the yellow card charts a few weeks ago. I think it was 27 yellow cards they'd had or something. Somehow there was no red card given in there. That would be down to their uh, rotation system. But that was a few weeks ago. Um, and then you look at our, our form with red cards. We had, I think we've had three and two of those have been in the same game. I've just, I've just looked it up now for you. So, Orion, you're right up there at best second. Um, for cards, Wigan actually top table, 37 yellows and three reds. Fleetwood are up there, five reds and 30 yellows. Um, so yeah, so, certainly one of the sides that are mixing it, shall we say, um, with a bit of a, uh, an interesting style. But ultimately, it's working for them, isn't it? You know, can't can't be uh, sort of rather rise too much at it because it is making making a big difference. But it's did I see this week that Wigan have got a fine actually for for, for disciplinary issues. Uh, they've had an 8k fine for mass confrontation in the Stevenage game. I think uh, Stevenage shared about just under 4,000 of that as well. Yeah, proper, proper weird one that because that was not a game that by any stretch you go and think, you know, there was, there was nothing in that. There wasn't a bad tackle, there wasn't anything at all. There was, you know, the ref. As well, as as that referee tends to do very often, Alan Young made it all about himself. There was cards everywhere. Um, yeah, they, they they did probably get it was eight or nine cards in the game, but yeah, strange one that that, that to, to get fined for it seems it seems an arbitrary arbitrary figure that because like I say, it, it wasn't a game where there was anything of malice at all. But hey ho. So another team we discussed last week were Shrewsbury and how consecutive late goals to get points on the board could have seen a shift in momentum. They certainly carried that on here as they saw a Derby 1-0. They were dominant in the first half and having had nine efforts of goal to Derby's three, they were gifted the opportunity to go ahead when Max Matter was awarded a penalty after seemingly falling over his own feet in the box. Tom Bayless stepped up and blazed over the bar in a moment that was probably justified after the fortunate awarding of the spot kick in the, spot kick in the first place. Joe Wildsmith then made a great save low down from a Daniel Udo strike as Shrews looked to get the winner. 
but the goal did come after Conor Hurahan headed across into his own net under pressure from Bayliss, who has since claimed the goal, uh, one for the dubious goals panel to decide if he gets retribution from that earlier miss. Louis Sibley spurned their late opportunity to equalise, firing straight at the keeper from eight yards out. But on the balance of play, a Shrews win was probably just about right. Interesting the scenes after the game, as Derby fans were calling for Paul Warren's head with uh, songs about his quality of football. Uh, I'll leave you to work those out for yourself. Uh, not sure if either of you have seen this, but did you see the uh, the video of Conor Hurahan uh, in with the fans at the end? Yeah, I've it, seen that, yeah. It's it not a good sight, especially... Especially from a player who served as long as Conor Horahan at Derby, and he's a bit of a fan favourite at Derby. Um, that was that ends a run of seven unbeaten for Derby as well. Conor Horahan's own goal, but for a player like Horahan, who's a bit of a favourite at Derby County, it's not good to see. Um, yeah, we we had Horahan at Barnsley as well, and he was a similar sort of thing at Derby, a fan favourite. You know, the fans love him, and when you see that sort of player going almost against. Your, your own your own side, your own, your own crowd. It's not great to see, and, and I, I think it does sort of sum up the situation that Paul Warren's side currently find themselves. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I mean, they're they're eleventh place. They're like I say, they had gone unbeaten, but they've drawn quite a few of those. And they're four points off the playoffs and maybe ten off the autos. I mean, how much time do we think Warren gets if that doesn't turn around? It was one of the harder jobs to go into with the situation in Derby uh, after Wayne Rooney left and so on. Um, there'll be thoughts of last season creeping in, you know, just missing out. And I actually said on the first League One pod we did that uh, Derby would most likely miss out on playoffs again. And it's certainly looking that way. And I think one reason for that is, as again, I've said, is their failings to sign a actual striker um, in the transfer window. They seem to have targeted the same kind of striker and going towards the end of their careers. And it, is it really what you want when you're pushing for promotion from League One? Yeah, they lost they, they lost a lot of goals in the goal, didn't they? And they don't seem to have replaced it very well. Yeah, I, 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 I sort of agree and disagree, Chris. I think the players that have got, in particular the strikers, are all sort of proven quality. You know, James Collins... It seems to be sort of the starting strike at the moment. Then off your bench, you've got Martin Waghorn and Connor Washington, all of which have sort of proven themselves at a League One level, if not above that. You know, uh, Collins at Luton it was was on fire for them in the Championship. Um, and I do think, like, that when you think of League One, all them three players are far too good to be in uh, a League One Derby County side. So they have got the players, you know, not just up top, but across the board as well. You know, cashing at the back, uh, Smith in centre midfield, along with Hurian Bird as well. You know, they, these are quality players. Um, and for whatever reason, something's just not quite clicking. But they, ha- they have got the pedigree of players. It's just sort of perhaps the way they're being coached or, or something. Just something isn't clicking. Something's not quite right. Wild Smith in the net as well is a solid option. He, he was at Sheffield Wednesday in the Championship before that. that you know, they're, they're solid options all across the pitch and just something isn't clicking right. Yeah, yeah. Warren's very much a systems manager, isn't he? So I think if 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 what he's doing isn't working, um, it pro- they probably do need a change, don't they? It, it, he, he's not someone who I don't see things suddenly turning round. Um, I think you know he he has a squad that works um, and plays the way he wants it to play, or it doesn't. Um, and like you say, they're good players in there, but it doesn't seem like the the tactical setup is working. 
No, they, I mean, in, in, in the game against uh, Shrewsbury, they played a back four. I know Warren at his time at Rotherham uh, sometimes opted for a three. So I think we might perhaps see a change in that in order to to hopefully bring a change of results for Derby. You know, they have got the players to play a three. Craig Forsyth can drop back and be, be that left-sided uh, central defender with, with Aaron Cash and Nelson alongside as well. So... You know, they have got the players to adapt, to be able to adapt to change formations. And I wouldn't be surprised if the next fixture that they, they were to do that. Uh, I mean, coming up, they've got, they've got Exeter at home. You'd, you'd, you know, you'd sort of, you'd hope that they'd be able to redeem themselves in a home game. Uh, but I wouldn't be surprised to see a change in formation. I'll look for wing-backs flying down the wing at Stevenage on Saturday. Thank you very much for that. Uh, as they no doubt come and beat us and turn us over. <laughs> For, for players like Cashin as well, it's a question of we know they've got interest from strong sides. I would surprise not to see Derby County take accept any offers for Cashin. We know he's a young talent, but we know when a Premier League side come knocking, they're going to pay the money you expect. So is it a case of these players are going to jump ship in January maybe? Or do they see the season out to the end with Derby? Yeah, certainly an interesting one, and like I say, one one to watch. Like I say, this this week, I guess, very on paper, winnable games um, against Exeter and Steve Mitchell aren't playing brilliantly at the moment. So, you know, you could be looking at two wins there, and then suddenly everything looks a lot rosier um, and, and turns things around. We know that can happen in football. Right then, Chris, um, have you calmed down enough yet to talk about a different game that's not Cheltenham? Well, I can make it about Cheltenham because it's Alfie May on the score sheet for Cheltenham. Uh, eight goals in 11 games from him and Chuck Zanecki as well getting on the score sheet for uh, uh, Michael Appleton's side. Um, Charlton, they've been on the up and 4 0 against Reading. We know Reading struggles this season, uh, just like Wigan and Blackpool. But is it time to worry about Reading with the situation there? Yeah, I think it's, it's it's one we touched on last week. Um, that, that you were on the pod, but yeah, we spoke about there the fact that obviously they've had the point deduction. There's talk about potential administration and another deduction. All these young players, uh, all, all those extra bits and pieces um, that that well, in particular, their away form is really, really well. I think it's the worst in the, the whole football league. Um, maybe 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 only Sutton have a, a worse goal difference. I think maybe, um, but yeah, we, we we did say last week we are very worried about, about them. Um, I think they've just announced a partnership with uh, Irish Premier League side Wexford as well. Um, their academy with Wexford. But as for Charlton, they've um, they've really come up since Dean Holden left, and it's looking good. They're, they're free scoring now, and Alfie May is part of that uh, situation. Um, Miles Leeburn as well. He's been a he's been a he was fantastic last season. He had interest from the Premier League also. One worry they will have is Chuck Zanecki, who went off injured. Um, they're set to take a look at his hamstring, so he's they're waiting scan results on that. So it'll be, will be a concern, but I don't think they're going to struggle too much with Zanecki missing with the talent they already have up front. Yeah, I I, I had it written down that. Well, I think Corey Blackett Taylor laid on three goals, didn't he, from out wide. Um, Tyrus Campbell scored an absolute screamer for the um, for his first league goal season. I mean, question, I guess, for both of you. In my mind, 
I was slightly concerned about Charlton out wide just because of how much they relied on Raksaki last season. But I think they might have the best wingers in the division when they're fit and firing. I mean, like, Blackett, Blackett Taylor's had nine goal contributions in 12 games. Campbell's added another four. Um, what, what, what do we think? Any any other wingers in the league that, that compare with that? Uh, no, not off the top of my head. I think, I think the options that they've got are sort of one of the best in the divisions, as you said, and certainly a force to be reckoned with. But I, off the top of my head, I don't, I don't think there's a, a team that sort of come close in terms of their their winger options. Yes, it just, just seems to be clicking, doesn't it, as well, for Appleton. It has 13 goals in their last five league games. They're up to 10th now. Yeah, looking positive. Yeah. Looking positive. I'm not 100% sure what the issues were at Charlton, really. Um, Holden had this, had a similar start to life at Charlton. He looked, he looked one to take them up. And it seemed, the trouble seemed to have followed him into this season. And now he's just, well, obviously Holden's gone. But I had them as promotion candidates. I thought that would be with Holden that they'd get promoted. But... If Appleton's the man to take them up there, I don't think anyone will complain so long as they're up there. No, agreed. Yeah, he's, he's definitely a guy who he's, he's kind of been he, weird, isn't he? He's, he's kind of been there and done it, but then he's also been in places of really underwhelmed, hasn't he? So, yeah, it, it's it's also a bit unlike him, isn't it? To go to go straight in um, somewhere, turn things around instantly, poss- possibly says what you know, backs up what you said there about the quality of the squad that it was always there in the first place, and he's just kind of taken the shackles off going forward. Yeah, and I mean, quality of the squad, you spoke about Rakitaki last season, but for me, Charlton had the second best transfer window in the league. Obviously, Oxford had the best transfer window with all they added to the squad, and they, they surprised everyone this season. But they, the signing of Alfie, and we spoke about the contribution of goals from out wide, but it's Alfie as well, his impact on teams. If he can't we saw it at Cheltenham. If there's no one to create the chances for Alfie, he will create the chances for himself. I mean, last season he scored from a halfway line against Peterborough United. Yeah, he's de- definitely coming into into form as well, isn't he? And like say, when he starts to hit that form and starts to get find his goal scoring boots, um, gets going, and there's not many in the league that can live with him. So, yeah, cer- certainly think that Charlton they're looking much much more positive. Um, be interesting to see if they carry on. Chris, just quickly, you know, I, as a Cheltenham fan, uh, obviously losing Alfie May, uh, he went to Charlton. Do you think he might be regretting his his options and, and his choice? I don't think so. It, it was always time for him to move on. And the trouble is, is one, we were never going to replace a player like Alfie anyway. But that money we got for a player like Alfie, we're, we're quite easily the smallest team in League One. I mean, you look at the stature of the club, we don't really have a right to be in League One and we've certainly been the same the way we've played this season. But that that money from the Alfie sale was always just going to go back into the club and we weren't really going to replace him. Um, Aidan Keener was always the intention to replace Alfie. But but in terms of Charlton sitting 10th, do you think when when he sort of left Cheltenham, do you think he might have been pushing a little little bit higher towards the playoff spots? He'll certainly be aiming for the playoff spots. He's he's already tasted promotion with us. He helped. He's part of the reason why we finished the job in League Two. So he'll he'll want another promotion on his resume. That's for sure. 
Excellent stuff. All right, well, four games in. Um, not, nice, natural time to take a bit of a break. So we're going to take a quick ad break and we'll be back with you in about 30 seconds or so. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome back. Hope that the adverts there were absolutely everything you wanted them to be. Um, there's only one place to start with, and it's a, a really exciting game that Seb saw uh, over at the Lamex Stadium between two sides, both in quite poor form and looking to get back on track. Any any interest there at all, Seb? Uh, little. Uh, the, what, there is one nil-nil game in the whole of the League One fixtures on Saturday and I'm the lucky person to have been designated that fixture. It was between Stevenage at Port Vale. Port Vale come into this one on the back of three straight defeats and no win in five. But at the end of it, they got a point against a Stevenage side uh, who themselves had some good chances. Uh, Jake Forster-Caskey and Jamie Reid as well being denied by uh, Connor Ripley in the Port Vale net who have sort of uh, come, come into this one on the back of bad form but other than that in the season they've been on, on solid form after their, their opening day battering defeat at, at Barnsley you know, just to get that in once more uh, but yeah it, it finished all even and uh, nil did I guess point for either side uh, I guess for you uh, Ollie as a Seabridge fan do you see this as one point game one, one point gained or two dropped um, I think the feeling around the place was definitely um Two points dropped um, on the on on the balance of play. Nil nil. I think it was, it was two sides that played pretty poorly. Um, I think anyone came away from the game thinking they should have won it. Um, like I say, Jamie Reid did miss a one on one. That's probably maybe the only clear cut chance of the game. Um, I, the, one, the one thing I think you, you kind of can't get away from in this game. Again, I don't know if listeners have seen this, but if you haven't, give it a go- give it a Google because um, there was a penalty decision in the game um, which. I think might be one of the worst decisions I've ever seen in football. Um, essentially, uh, Ethan Chislett's going uh, into, into, into the 18-yard box for, for Vale. Uh, Kane Smith overruns the ball for Stevenage at right back. Uh, and he essentially looks like, look, kind of looks like he slips, but he basically totally wipes out Chislett. No, he must be about three seconds late on the ball. Um, and I can't, all I can imagine is that because it is so late, the ref's looking with the ball. Um but it's, it's the most blatant penalty you've ever seen um, and just got waved off. Really, really weirdly, the Vale players didn't really seem that intense by it. I mean, I, I know we're talking, we don't, we don't want to see players crowding around referees, but strange not to see sort of big appeals. Now. I mean, have, you, have you both seen that decision? I've seen it, yeah. It's it's... I kept up with this weekend, no. I, I've seen it and it's just, it's it's baffling, really. 
it's what what's what's even funnier, um, and I know I ranted a bit about it last week, is that at the end of the game, Steve Evans still found the way to blame the referee. Um, I think he said that there was a couple uh, there was a couple of challenges that player got booked for that he thought could have been reds. Started talking about them being could have been down to nine men, and lo and behold, no mention of this uh, <laughs> definite penalty against us. I, I, I do find that really frustrating for managers. Um, you know, I fine come out and be frustrated about referees. We all we all football fans, we we all feel that too. But don't don't come out and constantly try and sort of paint this idea that referees are against your side when actually both of the last two home games we've had more than the rubber of the green in terms of penalty decisions. Maybe that's the point. I don't know. Maybe that's the idea of it. You know, we put put referees under pressure and kind of make decisions go our way, but. Yeah, how he could not mention that uh, when talking about referees, I've got no idea really. It's it's odd that even despite it's odd that even despite sort of having this a decision given it in your favour, if you like, uh, he still finds a way to complain. That's just I guess maybe that sums up Steve Evans sort of always complaining to the referees, perhaps. Or I'm not not quite sure. You know, he, he can be that. Oh, I'd hate to be for official with touchdown with Steve Evans. I can just imagine sort of always in in your ear. Um, but I guess he 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 wants all the he'll want all the decisions, and ultimately, even though one has gone his way, there's still some that haven't gone his way. So I guess he's just making himself heard. It'll be another case we hear the VAR and the EFL argument again. Don't get me but started. Looking at looking at. The Premier League games over the weekend, um, just to go a bit off topic, but on the subject of VAR and EFL, in my opinion, the EFL refs can be worse than the Premier League refs a lot of the time. Um, like the instance of Portsmouth have last season had advantage played. They scored from that advantage and then the ref blew the whistle for the free kick. Um, and on, on terms of VAR, it took a Premier League ref eight minutes to give handball against Arsenal on on Saturday evening, how long would that have taken an EFL ref? When it was a stone, as as an Arsenal follower, it was a stone wall penalty anyway, and it still took them eight minutes. Yeah, I think we could, we could sit and we can sit and do probably a two three hour pod, can't we, on the uh, the pros and, and the very many cons of, of the AR. Um, again, so we we sort of touched on it last week a little bit. It, it's obviously not going to be coming into the EFL anytime soon, is it? So I don't think it's anything we have to quite worry about. Um, but yeah, so certainly this decision, uh, if it had gone to VAR, you'd like to think wouldn't have taken them any more than about eight seconds, let alone eight minutes, <laughs> to realise that Bale, that Bale um, deserved the penalty. But hey-ho, it wasn't given, um, and you know you win some, you lose some, as they say. Maybe that's the luck that people always mention in terms of decisions. Um, I am up next with Burton 4, Bristol Rovers 1. And I guess, should any of us really be surprised that Burton came out of the blocks like a sloth this season um, and have since found blistering form? Because that just seems to be the Dino Marmory away, doesn't it? It's a 4-1 victory here, like I say. It's their fourth in a row. That sees them climb up to ninth in the table. Uh, perhaps most impressive is that they did so after going behind in the seventh minute as Anthony Evans headed home and Aaron Collins cross. The Brewers are resolute under Mario, though, and were level 20 minutes later as Bez Labala turned home a lovely Tom Hamer cross, and he was on hand again to turn home from Helms cross to send him in the break ahead. The game was an even one, and Bristol Rovers had every chance of getting back into it until Ryan Woods was sent off for a flailing arm. 
It's the sort of red card that you're fuming if it's your player, but you're probably appealing for if it's the, if it's the opposition player. Um, kind of one of those that could go either way. Um, but they were down to 10. Uh, Joe Powell fired, fired in the third with an absolutely beautiful strike from out on the box. Um, and then the fourth came not long after that to settle matters. But are now unbeaten in eight. What do we think their ceiling is? I mean, like, do we think they are a side that can be pushing in, uh, into the sort of upper reach of the table? Do we think they're, they're at their peak? It's definitely a surprising start to the season for them, but I, I think they are one to watch pushing those playoffs, but we know how these seasons creep up on teams like Burton. They have these starts, and like the previous game, we saw it with Port Vale. Um, all it takes is one result. Port Vale used that opening day hammering against by Barnsley to push on for form, and now their form's dropped off again. And I think if this run ends for Burton, it might have a disastrous impact on the squad. But they are one who, if they can keep it going, can push for those playoffs. Well, well, what's... Go on, I think you said a couple of times, haven't you said that? I kind of agree with you. I think it is a weak league this year. Um, and so I do think that there's room for um, a, a side like a Burton, isn't there, to try and sort of gate-crash that playoff party a little bit. Yeah, and, and if they continue with the form that, that they're on, then you can see them sort of pushing further and further, unbeaten in the last five and just three points off the top six. You know, it's not not out, not inconceivable that, that they, they will sort of push on to, to the higher end. Uh, I think Burton are sort of due uh, a top six finish. You know, they've been, been in League One a couple of years now, uh, having even been in the Championship and, and League Two before that as well. Um, and and uh, the, the way, like I said, the way that the manager sort of galvanises the squad uh, and sort of the, the play style that that, that, that they're playing, um, you can see it happening. I know when, when they came to Barnsley or the Barnsley got the victory, uh, Burton did play well and, and there was some some quality moments uh, and they were lucky to not get anything out of that game. Uh, but Burton, if, if they carry on what they're doing, then uh, you know the sky's the limit for them. Yeah, agreed. Bristol Rovers, on the other hand, though, sat 17th at the moment, which can't have been where any of their fans anticipated them being at this stage. Do we think Barton's under pressure? Yes. Yeah, it, it's going to be... Whether he gets through to the January transfer window, we'll see, but they'll certainly go back in for Johnson Clark Harris from Peterborough in, this, in the January transfer window. Whether he's what they need... Um, they've already got strikers, so whether he's what they need, I don't know. But their strikers seem to be struggling at the moment as well. Yeah, they're another side who I, I thought had a really good window, and I, I, I was looking at thinking, yeah, they'll, they'll definitely be one of those sides to kind of push from that sort of 12th to 18th bracket from last season and, and make a real run for it. Barton's one of those weird ones, wasn't he? Whereby we know how outspoken he is, and he's probably only one bad press conference away from a sacking as it is. If he's under pressure and results aren't going his way, we know he calls players out. Yeah, I, 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 I can, I could see that one turning. If I'm honest, yeah, I, I, think, mean, I, think that, I think that's part of the issue. Him calling players out, you have to wonder, especially after he's done something like that. The form's already bad enough, which is going to be affecting morale. But when your own manager's calling you out and saying your decision making stupid and things such as that. That morale has to be the worst in League One currently. Yeah, Colin Matter is a great place to go. But as we mentioned earlier with Derby, uh, Bristol Rovers do have the charity of Steve Mitch midweek. Um, and so I'm sure we'll be gifting them three points for getting them back 
uh, in amongst the win column. Um, two of the fancy sides to be in and around the promotion promotion picture. Sorry, Matt Kassam as Oxford took on Blackpool. How was this one, Chris? Well, Oxford, we we spoke about them earlier in the podcast. They've been fantastic this season. Their players that they signed have all. I don't think there's anyone at this Oxford side who disappointed really, but they'll be disappointed with themselves after this result. I think. I think it's two points drop for them, especially when they've been like Portsmouth with their form. Uh, Seb will be breathing a bit of a sigh of relief after they drop points as well, but. Whether it affects them, I don't know. They look so strong in the form table. Still unbeaten in five, but Portsmouth have the best record in the league. So we've said it will be between these two sides for promotion. I think it will be Portsmouth who win the league, but Oxford just have to go out midweek and turn it round again and respond with another win after a two-point drop. Yeah, I think that's possibly one of the only question marks of Oxford, isn't it? That they've had such a nice run um, through the season that now they're, well, conceding a late goal like that, how do they bounce back from that with only a couple of days preparation for Tuesday? Um, they only managed three shots in the entire game on Saturday. I know they were ahead. Um, but, yeah, it'd be, it'd be interesting to see how they how they do respond. And well, I think that will ultimately be the difference between whether they are run away, automatic promotion, or whether they actually drop, drop back into being a playoff contender or not. I think if they do drop into those playoff spots, I don't. It, they we obviously know how many signings they've made and how how much they've strengthened the squad, but I do think that the other teams that will most likely make the playoffs, your Bolton's, your Peterborough's, I think over two legs in a semi final, I don't think they'd manage it in those playoffs. And and for Blackpool as well, Jordan Rhodes scoring again. It seems to be like, like I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. It seems to be sort of. Uh, Reveling his 2015-16 championship era, eight goals in in the season now already. He's on fire at the moment. Yeah, I think that's yeah, seven in his last six, isn't it? And well, and like well, again, we touched on this last week. He's getting goals just from everywhere, isn't he? Coming off his back and flying in. You know, it, 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 it's one of those things with a poacher sort of striker, isn't it? That when you're in form, both those things just like the ball just dropped for him in the box, didn't it, for that goal? Um, and you know, if if perhaps he's on a little barren run, perhaps that doesn't drop quite to him or it drops on his weak foot. Um, yeah, he just seems to be in one of those runs of form where everything's going for him and he's, he's saving his chances. He positioned, he positioned himself really well as well between the two defenders, although I, I think that late stage in the game, the defenders have got to sort of be holding the line a little bit better, doing tracking their, tracking their, their runs, uh, but George was, Jordan Rhodes was able to sort of sneak in between the two and, uh, and knock it in for a late equaliser goal, which I think Blackpool just about deserved. Yeah, I think yeah, I'm not a balance of play. I think you're right there. A draw was, was probably the right result. Okay, uh, league leaders Pompey met relegation candidates Carlisle in a game that looked to only have one possible outcome. How did it go, Seb? Well, the outcome is what everyone sort of predicted the outcome would be. It finished uh, in victory for the home side for Portsmouth. It means they extend their lead at the top of the League One table. Uh, they're now sitting on 31 points. Three points clear of Oxford and eight clear of Barnsley as well. The, the decided goal came quite late, 93 minutes into the game uh, from Connor Shaughnessy, his header at Fratton Park, the difference between the two sides. Uh, Port, Portsmouth did have a few chances uh, early on in the game. Colby Bishop had a header that he probably should have been better with and uh, yeah, just 
wasn't quite able to to get it on target and, and score. But uh, the visitors, Carlisle, Carlisle did have some chances. Uh, Sean Maguire nearly scored, a former former Preston man, uh, but not able to to do anything. Uh, and Portsmouth came away from that with with victory, a uh, very late one, but victory indeed for the home side. And like I said earlier, extended their victory to the top. Something that I do think is going massively in their favour is perhaps going a bit under the radar for Pompey. That's their eighth set-piece goal this season, which is the most in the league, which in, in games like that, when you're playing a low block, you know, when you, games that you should win and you're huge favourites and you can't break a side down, having set-piece threats like that is often the difference, isn't it? And I think I wonder if they're perhaps slightly better set up to do that um, than Oxford are. Massively, I think sort of the defenders have got uh, Shaughnessy obviously on the score sheet, Pool as well. Uh, you know, can be pivotal from set pieces, uh, and and that's a massive sort of armor to, to your weapon to have the set pieces. You know, to be to be uh, scoring goals from corners, from free kicks, it's a massive sort of uh, weapon to have. You know, if game, games are, are a bit tight, a bit cagey, and you get a set piece, you know that there is a high possibility of. Uh, of making the most of of a delivery, and that's 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 what they did, uh, and ultimately it proved the difference between the two sides. But yeah, for any promotion side, um, you know, set pieces is a big thing. Uh, like like I mentioned, sort of in a cage game, you know, a set piece it could be a goal, it could be the only only goal between the two sides. Um, yeah, massively, especially especially if you want to go this promotion push, which at the moment they are set pieces is is, is massive. It's interesting because we spoke about them and Oxford being runaways, but they seem to have both had similar weekends this weekend where they both struggled. I don't think I've seen Portsmouth struggle that much against the side this season so far. No, and I guess... They've got away with it. Unlike Oxford, they've got away with it, but... I guess that's credit to Carlisle, isn't it? Obviously, at the minute, it's 20th in the table, so pretty low down. Uh, Carlisle have only won one in the past five. Portsmouth are beaten in the past five. So credit to Carlisle. Uh, but, you know, ultimately, as I mentioned, a set piece is what has proven the difference between the two sides. You know, uh, Carlisle sort of sat back, you know, in, in that low block, proved difficult to break down. Um, so, yeah, I guess credit to, credit to Carlisle almost got a, a solid point. But as you said, Portsmouth just cracked it, unlike Oxford were unable to, you know, sort of, it, 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 sort of both... Similar but different. Portsmouth getting getting a, a late a late goal to clinch the three points, whereas Oxford conceded a goal to drop two points. Yeah, it's a bit, it's a big swing in that ninetieth minute, isn't it? From going from Oxford winning and, and Pompey drawing to the other the other way around. Massively, oh, and yeah. it sort of sort sort of deters you know whether whether you are in in the top top position or whether you sort of you drop down to the playoff position. Okay, well, we mentioned last week that Lincoln boss Mark Kennedy could be under pressure. And after the board pulled the trigger in midweek, caretaker boss Tom Shaw couldn't have hoped for a nicer start than Fleetwood away. As the Con Army boasts the division's worst home record with just three points at home all season and two goals in their six home games. Shaw will have been tasked with steadying the ship um, while the managerial search begins. And he did just that with a hard-fought 1-0 win here. Alex Mitchell fired them ahead after just six minutes and they were never really troubled beyond that point as Fleetwood created a paltry 0.45 XG and showed no sign of improving that dire goal-scoring record. 
They also had Nsiala sent off in stoppage time in a moment that also summed up their defensive shoals as a long punt forward looked easy enough to deal with, but the defender somehow contrived to let the striker nip it behind and then hauled him down when he was clean through on goal. This was their third dismissal in their last four games, which will hardly be helping the cause down in the bottom four. I have to say, if Cheltenham and Reading are big favourites for relegation, I think you can safely throw Fleetwood in there too. They've now got one win all season and they just don't look like a side with any ideas of how to turn it round. At the other end, though, three valuable points for the Imps. Who do we fancy for the manager job there? Good question. Cowlers just keep getting mentioned. They've been out of management for a long time and I think most Lincoln fans would welcome them back. I know they struggled at Portsmouth together, but... I think they'd be welcome back with open open arms at Lincoln. That's a good shout. Yeah, I, the, when, when they were at Lincoln before, they, they were pretty successful. So I'm sure they'd, they'd hope to emulate the same success. And as Chris said, a lot of the fans seem to be wanting them to return. Uh, I know uh, Damien Duff has also been linked as well. Uh, whether it, it's the Cali Brothers or whether it is Duff, um, we'll, we'll see, I guess, very shortly. Yeah, I've teamed up in look at that. It's, there's no guy from over in Ireland as well. The Tramlock Rovers manager, I think it's Stephen Bradley. I think he's been linked with it too. Yeah, he, he's in the top three with the Cowleys and Duff, apparently. Um, it's interesting. We talk about this Irish connection with the EFL. We mentioned earlier that Reading have their link, uh, announced their link with Wexford today. But what one thing we haven't seen much of yet is the Irish managers. And it seems like they... Could that open another door? We know it's opened the door for players in League One, but could it could it be another door open for management? Yeah, I think, oh, there's obviously talent over there, isn't there? Um, and yeah, well, I, I guess a lot of people are kind of putting two, two and two together, aren't they, with this one? And I think the Irish season finishes in November. And so I guess the you know if the caretaker manager can, can hold the fort down for you know, about a month or so, um, then that hopefully will mean that there's enough time for them to then pick up Bradley. I, mean, I can't can't imagine they'll be going and poaching him um, right at the end of the season. I, I don't know what Shamrock Rovers are doing right now, but um, yeah, um, I, I guess Cow, Cowley, the Cowleys are an option. It's, it's such a strange one, that, whether they sort of struck gold at the time they happened to be there or whether they're just, you know, we do, we just, we do get those managers, don't we, who just happen just to really work in one place. I remember Nathan Jones with Luton doing, doing the same, kind of going away and then coming back like nothing had ever changed before, um, and, and just picking up where he left off again. But, yeah, I like, they, they, they do seem to get linked with every single job for Cowleys, but I guess if, they, if, if they're going to step back into management, this is probably the place, isn't it? While, while we're on the subject of management as well, Fleetwood, uh, last season, Scott Brown looked the man for the job for Fleetwood to keep them sort of safe and seemed to have a steady ship steadied in League One with them. But it's just been disastrous. The only team they've beaten this season is us. And as you said about the red cards, I can't remember the last time I saw a Fleetwood game that hasn't had a red card in it. Yeah, they've made a discipline issues over there, haven't they? Haven't, haven't, whether it's they, they, they've moved on, aren't they? they've got um, they've got Lee Johnson there, haven't they? Soon as well now. I'm not sure, but whether yeah, it's... The, 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 yeah, Lee Johnson is in at Fleetwood. And one thing I would say about Lee Johnson, he took over at Barnsley uh, a little bit later on uh, than, than what it is now. Well, actually, no, he he got sacked from Barnsley uh, towards the relegation end. Paul Hackingbottom came in 
uh, took us up from the relegation then towards the playoff and then we got promoted from the playoff. So so I've got history around relegation sides, Lee Johnson, but he, he's a quality manager. You know, we've seen the journey he's been on with Bristol City, taking them up, you know, quite high in the championship from League One. Uh, and so I'm sure Fleetwood fans would be hoping for the same. Uh, although two losses in the past two doesn't sort of give that evidence, but I'm, I'm sure they'll be hoping for, for better form to come. I guess, well, I mean, it's not, not the first time that we've kind of mentioned managers and, and kind of managed under pressure. We've mentioned War, we've mentioned Barton being under pressure. I think there's now four sides that have sat managers already this season. We've only played 13 games. I mean, what, what what's our viewpoint on this? I mean, do we think that there's a, a, a good time and a, and a particularly bad time to be sacking managers? You know, like, what, what's, what, what's the sort of thought process behind it? I think... I think with so many managers being sacked so early this season, it goes, shows what we're saying about it being a league, weak league. Everyone expected a lot to capitalise on a weak league. Teams like Carlisle, the relegation, teams in the relegation zone will be looking to capitalise on teams like that. We probably don't have as much squad depth as the rest of the league. But it does show that people will be expecting a lot more from their managers while the league's in this sort of state. For all clubs, I think it is sort of striking that balance of giving managers time, but then also, if it clearly isn't working, then there's almost a right that they should be replaced. But, you know, some fans sort of criticise owners or, or chairman when, when they get rid of managers too soon, but then ultimately, ultimately, if they're staying too long and consistently losing games, then you should have got rid of earlier. So it's just about, in terms of sort of chair, chairman, owners, things like that. It's just about striking the balance. And a lot of fans, you know, sometimes might might want a manager to go, but then then something clicks and then the form changes. So then, you know, we, we see that at Middlesbrough now in the Championship, you know, a month ago, people were calling for Michael Carrick to go and they weren't in great form. Now now they're in sterling form. I, I don't quite think I can think of a similar example in League One at the moment, but sort of, there's no right time to sack a manager. If something's not working, and a bit like Paul Ward at Derby, you know, it's, it's a manager that, that has their way of playing and might not might not be open to adapt as much. Then, you know, after you know a few defeats in a row, then then it's probably time to get rid. But then equally, all managers deserve a chance, um, and and with with the hope that things will turn. I saw a debate on Twitter uh, this week about managers. Actually, someone I saw someone uh, with quite an interesting viewpoint. They said that they think that managers, uh, the, sorry, the club should only be allowed to change managers um, similarly to how transfer windows happen. So there's like a managerial window. Um, I guess kind of making clubs kind of make more informed decisions. I guess and having to actually stick with a system perhaps become a bit more stable. I mean, what what would our thoughts be? I mean, you know, thinking about the fact that you know you've got. Well, amongst the three of us, we've got very different clubs and different situations. I mean, Chris, how would you how would you have felt if we just said, actually, no, you've got you've got to stick with Wade Elliott until January, and you can't get rid of him? Would we, would we be for that against that? It's it's a complicated issue for me, Kurt, because it's one that I feel like January is a chance for a manager to turn things around and change the squad. Portsmouth last season they sacked the Cowleys just before the transfer window or in the middle of and they then spent the remainder of the transfer window without a manager and um, then they got Mazzino in. The thing I feel about Portsmouth and their manager is that 
they could have possibly had a different end to the season if they'd had a manager in through the transfer window. Because then he sort of knows the players he wants to target and what squad he's got to work with and where to improve. Whereas a manager coming in after a transfer window doesn't know the squad and gets to know the squad and has areas he needs to improve on, but doesn't now have a chance to improve on them. So it is one that I feel wouldn't work. And I, if we were with, with Elliot till ch- January, I think we'd have already been down in January, to be honest. You might, you might still be. Well, yeah. <laughs> what about you, Seb, thoughts? Yeah, I mean, we've got Neil Collins at the moment, who's coming for his first uh, managerial post in England, uh, came, came during the summer. Uh, I'd be happy... Uh, I'd, I'd be happy keeping Collins in, until January, but I agree to some extent, as you said earlier, sort of having like a managerial window, uh, it just makes sense, but then it would be like if your team were consistently losing, then you'd just be consi- consistently losing and sort of towards the bottom end of the table, whereas if, you know, after after a few losses in a row, then your owner or chairman or, you know, the club got rid I brought a new manager in, you know, things things could turn, but there is there's no guarantee with new managers that they can come in. You know, we we seem to have this thing about new managers. They can come in and, and, and change your tide, you know, uh bring positive results with them, but it's not always the case. Sometimes something isn't quite right with the club or the playing, the, the players at, at the club. Um, so they can't always fix stuff. But I think it would it would be an interesting concept. Should it come to fruition, but I, I can't really see it coming to fruition anytime soon. But it it would be pretty interesting, yeah. Yeah, it's my, with my the way the league—that's anything, isn't it? With the way the leagues end as well, we spoke about the Irish league ending in November. It's one I'm not sure how it would work because of all the leagues ending differently. Um, Seb mentioned about Neil Collins coming over for his first job in England. He came from America. And all these leagues end at different times, so it would be a difficult way to function, really. Yeah, interesting concept. Like you say, probably in practice, um, wouldn't be something that would that would get get, get voted in. But yeah, no, could be a could see an end to the whole kind of calling to managers' heads, and and you know the, the mass change we, we we seem to see. I think I saw something the other day that I think Steve Evans, uh, Steve, is something like um, something like the twelfth longest serving manager in the NFL. That's for eighteen months, like. You know, teams, clubs just don't stick with managers two these days. They are very trigger happy and do just seem to get rid. You you do find you have the other end of the spectrum, though. Um, one manager who baffles me, it's not League One, but he's in the Championship. One manager who baffles me how he's still got his job is Gareth Ainsworth in QPR. That, that is a surprise one. It, yeah. He's got a lot, a, lot, games, a lot of his history of the club, hasn't he? Yeah, I think it's the sentimental factor more than anything for Ainsworth. But as a fan, that's incredibly frustrating. You know, the results aren't going the way uh, that that you want as a fan. You know, the playing style isn't particularly what what the fans want either. But yet, because of this sentimental value that Ainsworth has with QPR and the club, that that's the reason. It just it, that sort of thing baffles me. I, I get it. You know, I you know, I, I get the sentiment behind it. But I think you know, football's a business and, and you want your business to su- succeed uh but if you keep someone like that on that isn't bringing the results um uh, then it's not going to end well for the club and at the minute it's not ending well for qpr 
No. Well, let's let's move on from Madras, shall we, I guess, and get back to those three more games we need to cover. Um, and Chris, you had a side looking to reassert their promotion credentials after a shock defeat to Carlisle last time out. Yeah, we've got uh, we've got Bolton against Northampton. Like you said, a shock defeat to Carlisle. They've been a bit hit and miss this season, Bolton, but they got back on the board again with a win over Northampton. And they're, they're sitting fourth in the table at the moment. Um, I won't mention the playoffs too much. I know Seb's a bit, it's a bit of a sore subject for Seb. <laughs> but um, it, it's another case of Bolton look, look like a strong side. And they're a side who shock me that they're in the playoff places as opposed to those automatics because I'd expect them to be running away and Portsmouth to be in the playoff spot at the start of the season. But it seems to have gone the other way around for them. Yeah, they're five points off Oxford. Um, Bolton, they've got tri- two tough trips coming up. They go, they go away to Wickham tomorrow night and then away to Charlton um, on Saturday. I mean, obviously, it could could be two great results from that and that could push them into I mean, do we, like, do we think they're good enough to challenge that top two? I don't think they will be any danger to the top two because of their away form this season. They, have, uh, they haven't been too fantastic on the road. And like you said, they've got two tough away trips. Um, so it's a case of when you want to challenge for those automatic spots, you have to compete on both home and away games. And they haven't, yeah. they haven't looked the same side away from home when they're at home. Yeah, I'd agree. I think I can see them sort of being, being in and around the playoffs, but I think top two, even top three, is a bit of a push because of, as Chris said, the, the lack of consistency. You know, the top sides have consistency both home and away at Bolton. A bit like Barnsley, just don't have that at the moment. Interesting. Well, we have two more games left. Uh, the first of which was between Peterborough and Wickham. Two sides were both quietly crept in to some form. How was this game, Seb? Very entertaining. It ended uh, 2-2 uh, between Peterborough and Wickham and a player at the centre of attention for both sides, for both teams, was Efren Mason-Clark. He doubled uh, Peterborough's goal tally uh, in stoppage time of the second half to make it 2-1 at half-time. But then he scored at the other end to give uh, Wickham uh, an equalising goal. It was uh, Randall who opened the scoring between the two sides and Hamlin also scored for Wickham as well. Uh, an entertaining game for both sides. As you said, both sides currently sitting just, well, Peterborough, fifth place in the playoffs, Wickham in eighth place, just below the playoff spots. But yeah, entertaining game between two uh, solid League One sides uh, and the points were shared. Who do I mean, like we say, two strong sides here and both overcoming sort of slow starts to sort of push into that playoff picture. Who do we fancy to have a bigger push for that? Uh, add to Peterborough. I mean, in fifth place at the moment, uh, you know, with, with a solid position in the league table, uh, I can see them, uh, I can see them sort of being up there about Ferguson. Uh, the manager has, has been there many years, been around the playoff spots many years, so he sort of knows what it takes to be in and around there come the end of the season. Uh, one thing I forgot to mention as well is uh, that Joe Randall, who scored Peterborough's first goal, his goal, goal came directly from a corner. Uh, sort of, you don't, don't see that happening very often, but I do see the posh being the one out of the two uh, to sort of have the playoff push 
uh, being in around there come the end of the season. Yeah, I think Wickham look interesting, don't they, actually? Bloomfield's got them playing some nice, some nice stuff. I think they're quietly, sort of no one really talking about them. Um, yeah, I think certainly a decent form recently. I'd, it'd be interesting to see if they can match it playing you know, the, the bigger sides in the division uh, when, the, when those games come. Yeah, I find Wickham as well, it can be a little bit inconsistent as well. Uh, they, they got got the equalising goal through, through the own goal as well. Um, and, and yeah, so that that's why Peterborough out of the two would, would be my t- pick for the playoff spots. Peterborough are another interesting one. They, they've got the talent to be in those automatic promotion spots. And one, one issue is obviously majority of the squad at Peterborough transfer listed. So how much of those resources does the manager have? But as for competing in the playoffs, again, I don't think they're a team who would go through in the playoffs simply because of how inconsistent they can be. I mean, last season, they were fortunate to be in the playoffs. They were on the receiving end of a... It was a refing decision that went in their favour and it was in a game they weren't even involved in. Uh, just, just on Peterborough, the, the form of the past five games has been exceptional. They're unbeaten in the last five, but in this five, three of the games have been draws. So, as you said, sort of the the inconsistency is showing. Uh, we've all, only two wins in that period as well. And if you want to be in there uh, around the playoff spots, you have to be winning as many games as you can. And they just haven't been doing that. They've been uh, slightly inconsistent. Yeah, I know. I know that last season, I've, I've not seen, I've not watched a lot of their games this season yet, but. I know last season fans were a bit frustrated about how stubborn um, Ferguson was in terms of style. He's quite insistent on playing out from the back. He's quite insistent on getting the ball wide and, and, and relying on sort of... It's, there was a lot of reliance on Joe Ward last season. Obviously, he's gone. Um, yeah, I, I, it'd just be interesting to see whether, as, as Chris mentioned, the issues they, they, that sort of have been spoken about at board level um, and kind of financially, whether that does have an impact. Like you say, January comes around. If you've still got players like Mason Clark tearing it up... Um, whether it will still be there or not, sort of questionable. But yes, lots of, certainly got the potential to be um, definitely amongst the top six sides in the division. So the final game of the weekend saw two sides who both came into the tie on the back of four successive defeats. Exeter entertained Wigan. Stephen Humphreys broke smartly and laid it on a plate for Marshall Good. Agodo, sorry, to open the scoring after just eight minutes. And in truth, despite racking up 29 shots, Exeter never really looked like equalising. The Devonshire side have now scored just once in their last five games and their misery in front of goal was compounded in the 97th minute as Will Ameson deflected across beyond the helpless Sinisolo for Wigan's second. After such a good start to the season, five defeats on the bounce now leave Exeter to 16th and losing these sorts of games against teams in the bottom four without really troubling them will definitely be a worry for Grecians fans. Do we see them as relegation candidates or is this just a blip in their form? They've certainly got quality. Um, one player who they impressed me with the signing of in the transfer window was signing Dion Rankin on loan from Chelsea. It's his first loan spell from the Premier League side, but he doesn't seem to have hit the mark as much as people would have hoped he would. And, well, we talk of Chelsea loan players, we know how many of those there are. But he certainly looked ready for first-team football and whether it is Exeter or whether he might not be ready just yet, I'm not sure. Interestingly as well, this game was a matchup between uh, Gary Caldwell and Sean Maloney as well, obviously formerly teammates at Wigan. 
uh, and it was Maloney who got the better of him. Uh, but I think good victory for for Wigan, who were sort of down there at the moment. Obviously, they started off the season with the points deduction. Uh, but Exeter, it, it, it's it's a worrying sign, I guess, at the moment. Um, and three points for Wigan, and they'll be happy about Exeter. Have lost the last five, so the form isn't great, and he can see them sort of dropping down into their relegation spots. Yeah, always interesting when a side goes flying out of the gates like that unexpectedly, um, and then obviously inevitably come crashing down a little bit. Uh, I guess the challenge now is to try and turn it around, isn't it, and try and find some sort of points from somewhere. Well, and by the looks of it, some goals from somewhere because they're just best struggling in front of goal. It's it's a win that Wigan needed as well. We we spoke about how impressive they have looked. They they've already overturned that twelve point deduction, and they're sitting on five points this season, I believe now. So. They started really impressively and they're looking good. I, I don't think they will be in that relegation fight anymore. Um, a couple more wins and I think they'll sort of propel themselves above those teams and start pushing away. Yeah, I think I, I think they're I think they're better placed than your Cambridges, your Exeters, who, as we've mentioned, seem to be getting sort of sucked in, don't they, after promising starts but time will tell on that one well that is a roundup of all 12 games from the weekend then uh we've covered quite a few issues within there um some other sort of areas of news in league one um this week this week um don't know if you both saw there was a, a new story that there's been a proposal put together to try and get rid of replays in the fa cup third and fourth round because of fixture congestion for the big clubs I mean, what's what's our thoughts on that I don't don't think the big clubs have. I get that they have teams like your top six have got European football, obviously, but I don't think there's any room for complaints for the big clubs, uh, for the Premier League clubs compared to um, what the EFL plays. Uh, One reason I am in favour of replays in some degree is when a team gets drawn at home against a big team like Manchester United, I mean, how how many times have we seen these League One teams, these National League teams, get a big, big game? Uh, Lincoln have been to the Emirates, uh, Crawley Town in their run where they went to Old Trafford. And it, it, it's such a massive boost to these clubs that it would be a shame to take it away from them because that one game can be such a difference to a League One club. Uh, it, it is, as, as sort of echoing... Chris, Chris's thoughts there, it, it's going to be hugely disappointing. The only two clubs in the EFL that might draw a big a big Premier League side at home, but also for sort of the lower league clubs as well. You know, uh, the FA Cup is, is what they live for season upon season, you know, getting to that first round proper uh, and, you know, force the draw to then play replay. Um, and it, it's going to be a big, big disappointment uh, for, for the lower league sides, including sides of the EFL as well. Yeah, I just think, like you say, like the, the financial element to that. For you know, when there's so many clubs going to the wall at, at our sort of level, you know, the, the the influx that that can have to your finances, like you say, of, of going for a, an away trip compared to being at home, is huge, isn't it? I mean, like, I, I get, I get it. You know, the, these clubs talk a lot about burnout and things like that, but they're not they're not crying burnout when they're fucking off to China or USA for their, you know, to to play a, a one off friendly for billions of pounds. Are they? I just, I, you know. Is, is it really an issue for them to put their reserve side out away at Cheltenham like, like in, a, in a cup game? Like, is that a huge problem for their fixture congestion? The, the Cup's always been about giving young players a chance for these sort of 
clubs, when you these are the teams you want to be sending these young players out on loan to. So if you want to send them out on loan to them, another thing you're going to want to be doing is seeing if they can actually compete against these clubs. Um, and the other thing you mentioned about these teams jetting off to China and America and things like that, Klopp has been a massive culprit. Jurgen Klopp has been a massive culprit for complaining about fixture congestion. We all know how much he loves to complain even from a neutral perspective outside of the Premier League. But one thing he used to do when he come over from the Bundesliga, because obviously the Bundesliga had their winter break, he'd complain about them not having a winter break. And I think a week after he complained in a press conference about not having a winter break, he took the side to Dubai for warm weather training. And... Why are you going to warm weather training in December when even in the summer, it's not going to be something these players have to put up with? I, I, do, get, I do get the fixture congestion argument, you know, especially the EFL clubs. You've got, you've got the league, you've got the FA Cup, you've got the Carvalho Cup, you've got the Papa John's Trophy, you know, by opinion on that, it's probably for another episode. But there is a lot of competitions and I guess the replay of the FA Cup game does add an extra match, you know, if if teams are already playing Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, you know, the fixed congestion is is intense. Uh, and then added that, you know, if, if there's a replay game that needs to be played, um, then added that in, it, it's going to be hard. But ultimately, then I see the other side of, of the coin as well, that for, for the smaller clubs in particular, the replays are what bring in money for the clubs, uh, in particular when, when they are playing the big sides, you know, when, when the TV cameras come, come to town in, in, in the the lower rounds of, of the cup. Uh, so it is a disappointing move, but I, I can see it, but it's 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 a disappointing move in my opinion. I sort of like I, I get it if you know if 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 X X is a draw Port Vale in the third round and neither side wants a replay, I could like you know, I, I guess I, I could I could I could get behind some sort of system whereby if both clubs agreed it would be a one off game and you know if it's to both of their sort of benefits then fine. But you know, no, no football league club from League One or League Two is going to be happy to say, "Oh, you know what? We'll forego the opportunity for for, for hundreds of thousands of pounds." But if we if we manage to sneak a replay, I just yeah, it, it's it to me it, it smacks of again, sort of look, looking after the big the big clubs um, who don't need it, and ultimately it's at the detriment of football fans, isn't it? Because you know. Fans like ourselves, we don't get to go to, don't get to go to the Emirates, Stamford Bridge, and to and to you know, Old Trafford, etc. every week. And so the chance that, you know, to have another chance taken away for that, I think it's a, a little bit of a kick in the teeth. I do, one, one thing that I think is interesting with that, I think it's Spain, whereby they have a ruling where it's, it, um, they don't have replays, but any cup draw that comes out, the lower, um, the lower league side are always away. So therefore you always get the benefit of, therefore, the extra crowd money, the extra TV money, etc. Um would we be in favour of bringing that in? I, I would be, yeah, I would be. I think I've, they're, they're the worst sort of draws when you draw someone against... who you draw someone that you play normally against in the league anyway. They're the worst sort of draws that you get in the cup. You know, you want to either be playing the, the lower side so you, you sort of know in the back of your head that it's an easy route to the next round or equally you want to play the higher sides where... You know, you want to be going to, like, say, the Emirates away, Old Trafford away, 
Um, you don't really, you never really want sort of the mediocre sides. Uh, so I'd, I'd be up for that, yeah. It's it's a difficult one for me because for me psychology comes into it as well, and we we talk a lot about the home and away psychological advantage, and these places can be so intimidating. Uh, it, it's a huge bonus for players. They'll they'll love the chance to play at places like Anfield. Obviously, we know about the Anfield sign. It's known by anyone who plays football pretty much. Um, but it is also an intimidating atmosphere for a player and it can leave a lower-ranked club at a disadvantage as well. Whether they're bothered about that, though, compared to benefiting their club financially, it's for them to decide, really. Yeah, yeah, it'd be interesting to know how how much involvement EFL clubs have had in that have had in that vote if it does come to pass. Um, another thing I wanted to talk to you about, chaps, then was uh, something that's been getting my goat a little bit in fo- football in the last sort of twelve months or so. Um, I don't know about you, but I am sick and tired of going to football grounds and hearing every single team have the same four or five chants just recycled. Um, if, if I go to another ground and hear "Ole Ole Ole," or perhaps. Um, there was one they were saying about managers about it being exactly what we need or whatever the hell that is. Like, can we please can we please bring back original, fun, in, interesting football songs? I don't, I, don't, I don't know if you're what your viewpoint on that is. Well, Barnsley have a very iconic chant which was uh, created, uh, I think, about seven or eight years ago. Away at Rochdale, we were 3-0 down in League One. It was a terrible performance. I, I was there in, in the away stand. Uh, and for whatever reason, someone had brought this plant pot. Uh, I'm not sure how they got it through security in the first place. Uh, but so they, they were just passing it around and cheering, you know, he's got a plant pot on his head and then running around the stand and putting it on someone else's head and then cheering that she's got a plant pot on, on her head and then, you know, the girl so just pass it around uh, but that's sort of one of the most bizarre chants I've ever seen and, and I was there to witness it all so a little bit strange but something different uh, as you said sort of uh, I've never seen any other club sing it it just seems to be Barnsley um, but very very strange but unique to, to the club I guess and it, it, it's fans of a League One club singing things like when going on to LA 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 it's fans of a League One club singing things like we're the best in the world you you can't seriously believe that when you're playing in League One. Um, for me, I think one of the funniest things I saw was Portsmouth last season. Their fans went viral against Bolton when uh, they were getting hammered by Bolton during that torrid run they had. And their fans had just taken to singing, we've lost the ball and we've got the ball <laughs> every possession change. Um but yeah, um, one thing I did like as well was when Saka and Smith row at Arsenal, uh, their chant that they had at Arsenal, the status quo uh, themed one, that was quite a fun one. Um, it obviously went away a bit because of Saka and Smith row falling. Yeah, for me, they're by far and away the best football songs. If you, if, if you can find a way to shoehorn in a 70s, 80s or even 90s classic, and make that a football song. You've just got a winner, haven't you? Like, no one's complaining about that. No. One thing Arsenal did as well was um, adopt a local artist as well that gets sung at the start of every game. 
Yes, nice, nice. And, and 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 speaking of, as you said, all this sort of eighties, nineties. Who can forget? Uh, Will Griggs on fire, free from desire. You know, you that are, was that was are, a song. That was a song touching, of the Euros. You are touching such a nerve here, Seb. Because and I, 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 someone someone will tell us this, and people will argue it. Um, but Steve had actually created that song um, for Luke Freeman, um, and this is we're, we're talking about three years before it was sung by Wigan. Um, and obviously, Freeman's on fire actually fits the fucking song. Um, but yeah, that obviously it obviously went viral because of Will Bring. I'm not saying it didn't, but um, yeah, slight nerve with Stevenage fans that we felt like we created that one. As I'm sure all fans do, but yeah, like just that, songs like that that you know that, that just you know capture a moment and that, that people get behind. Let's you know, come on, football fans, stop singing the same old shit. Let, let's let's get behind some sort of creativity. If you're listening to this, and perhaps your fans have got some incredible songs or some some creativity and originality we've not heard, please feel free to send it in. Um, because yeah, I think it's something that is severely lacking um, in League One football, and just would make match days a bit more interesting. The Will Griggs song, does anyone actually remember the original lyrics of that song anymore? Or do they just not do me, Will Griggs no. every time they hear it? I do not remember the actual lyrics anymore. It's one of those that always comes on. It comes on in a bar and you can always see around the room some people singing Will Griggs, can't you? There's, there's probably more people singing that, like you're saying, than the actual lyrics. Okay, well, on that note, that is going to do us for another week. Um, thanks for your input, gents. And thank you to the listeners for joining us once again. Don't forget to follow at Look Sports Media on Twitter for all your EFL needs. As always, the weekend sees our live 606 phone-in hosted on the Lower League Look Twitter. And we'd love to hear your views after games, so please get involved with that and do come on and sing us your favourite football chants. Good luck to all your teams this weekend. We will see you all again next week. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.